Mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. It's the most wonderful time. Yes, the most wonderful time. Oh, the most wonderful time of the year. It's the Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, great to have you here on this morning uh, with all these kids. And I really, I got to tell you that I, I love Christmas. I really love this season. And the song that we just heard, the most wonderful time of the year, I really want Christmas to be like that. I, I want this season to be like this. Like, I walked into the mall yesterday, and uh, I know some of you avoid the mall during Christmas season. I love it. Like, I, I, know, I just walk it in. Like, everybody's excited. People are spending money. That gets me excited, you know. You see friends and family. They're floating around the whole mall. I love it. I love the festivities. I love the food. I love everything about it. And I want it to be the most wonderful time of the year. And we're in this season of Advent, and what we've been studying and talking about is that Advent isn't about any of that. Like, in fact, what Advent, the word Advent is a Latin word that talks about coming. And as the body of Christ, what we do during this time of the year is that we remember that Christ came, but we also pause, we slow down, and remember once a year he's coming again. And in light of his coming again, how are we now to arrange our lives? How are we to live our lives in fact, we're going to talk a little bit today about this right here. And I want to go to, uh, this is in 1 John. And in 1 John chapter 4, it talks about that God is love. And it says that where, where whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And what we're going to talk about today is this odd thing of fear in the midst of Advent. And we all have fear. In fact, many of us have this, what I call the black box of fear. And I won't dare open it because what we keep in our black box of fear are our most dreaded fears, the fears that we hope will never come true, those deep, dark fears that we keep hidden in the back closet of our hearts and our minds, fears about love, fears about lost love, fears about relationships, fears about lost relationships, fears about our sexuality, fears about our past with our sexuality, fears about our future with our sexuality, fears about our careers, fears about failure, fears about not having success, fears about death, fears about sickness. Can, can I keep going? Like in this box, what is your darkest fears? What is it? And you know, if you don't have a list, it's Trust me, they're there because life is hard. And so we, we oftentimes give fear a lot of different names. It comes with a lot of different names like anxiety, 
or doubt. Actually, the root word, the Greek word for fear is talking about double-mindedness, is talking about doubt, not being certain, or terror, or stress, or worry, or if you're from the 70s, funk. Yes, please, thank you. Or butterflies in your stomach, or nervousness, or unrest, or a lack of peace, or compulsive thoughts, or a need to control everything. Fear has a lot of different languages. And we spend so much energy keeping our fear in the box. We have all kinds of ways that we wrap this box up and tie ropes on it, strap it down, lock it down, so that this top never comes over, comes off. Some of us try to control what's in this box by saving a bunch of money to where you're never in lack, and so you're always in control so you don't have to be afraid. Some of you just use simple control in everything. Some of you avoid yourselves. Like, it's funny, some of us in this room go, you know, I don't really think I have any fears at all. When we, when we got, when Renee and I got married and we had our first child, I remember about a month after him being here, somebody came up to us, we were together, and they were like, how's he sleeping? And I said, you know what? He's sleeping great. Like, I, he hasn't woke me up yet. And Renee goes, he's sleeping horrible. Randy's sleeping great. That's out of touch with reality. If, if I can get out of touch with this, then I can live in my life as if it doesn't even exist. Some of us drink. Some of us get really busy. Some of us get really lazy. Some of us work really hard. Some of us don't work hard at all. Some of us get sucked into the world of Ted Lasso. And in Ted Lasso's world, there is no fear. And some of us just overdo it on religion. And we believe that religion's going to push all this away if I could just be good enough. Well, during this Advent season, what would, we say, what would you say or think if I told you that Jesus really isn't interesting, interested in keeping this lid on your box? In fact, Advent's so unnerving because it seems Jesus is more interested in taking the lid off this box than participating with me to keep the lid on the box. Well, <laughs> what if Jesus has a completely different agenda? And what if his agenda and your agenda is in collision? And what if today, if we just pause just for a short period of time before we run out of here and go hug all our kids and tell them what a great job they did, that we pause and put a little bit of effort of just changing our perspective a little bit. And what I mean by that, like, how we view something often determines our participation in it. And what I mean by that is, um, you've heard me talk about my Christmases growing up. Um, my mom was, her family, she had three siblings, so Christmas was always spent at grandparents' little farmhouse. And it was like this 1,500 square foot, just, just run-down farmhouse with one bathroom. And they would be there and all four families would show up with all their kids and we'd be there for a week. And so this is, imagine, this is 20, 30 people staying in a small farmhouse with one bathroom. One bathroom. Now, let's just do the math here, all right? Just stay with me. Like, what do you do in the bathroom? Well, there's the obvious, okay? But then there's showering, there's brushing your teeth, there's hiding, because this is family with Christmas, right? Biggest use of the bathroom. That's like going to the bathroom and in there for two hours, you know? 
That bathroom was so busy. It was so busy that you never saw the door open to the bathroom. It was like just people waiting outside. It was a constant rotation. And if you went to that Christmas vacation, this Christmas family holiday, hoping for convenience, hoping for some sense of solitude, some peace and quiet in a bathroom all to yourself, if that was your perspective, you're going to be miserable the entire time you're there. But if you went to that vacation Christmas holiday with this expectation that my mission is to laugh a lot, my mission is to play a lot, my mission is to eat a lot of great food, to get caught up on all my cousins, to go and find out whether or not my grandfather's dogs, he trained dogs, had puppies up in the barn, or whether or not we're going we're gonna to have snow this Christmas or no snow this Christmas, or if granddaddy's going to catch Santa because we're convinced he's going to catch him this year. Uh, that's a whole other story. Some of you know that story. If that was your hope, it may be the bathroom, you don't even think about it. You see how just an altered perspective now helps me begin to see things in a very different light. So we're going to do that with a Christmas story. You ready? Kaylee, you're going to come and read for us? Yes, please. Please welcome her. She's going to be in, yes, Matthew chapter 1, and we're in verse 18, and we are reading the story of Joseph. I'm just going to do this now because I'm very tall. I'll just leave. <laughs> That's just cruel. There you go. All right. Thank you. Starting in verse 18. Oh, that, that would have been hilarious. Thank you for <laughs> avoiding that awkward situation. Yes, verse 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we're just going to claim your promises, even though maybe we're afraid they're not true. But we're going to claim them. We're going to claim that where your word is read, it does not return void. It accomplishes a purpose for which the Holy Spirit sent it out. And Lord, I pray you forgive me for my frailties and my lack and my sin and don't hold them against those in this room. But Lord, um, use my words to do the work of your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so what I just prayed, I prayed for you that God would do a work. So your job now is to be attentive to the work that God's doing. So here we go. Right here, the very first thing that the angel said to Joseph was, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. In fact, what we're about to look at is the worst fears of this kid that he could ever possibly imagine have just now come true. They've all come true. I mean, think about this. Mary and Joseph, they were probably two of the most vulnerable people in that world at that time. They were young. They had no money. 
They didn't have their home. They were living with their parents. They were poor, and they were probably 13 to 15 years old. And poor old Joe, he had his life planned out. He knew it was going to happen, that his mom and daddy were going to get together with his grandmama and granddaddy, and they were going to get together, and they were going to start dreaming about Joe's life. And here was a dream they were going to have. We need to find him a wife for Joe's life. And so they conspired and dreamed and said, you know, Mary seems like a nice girl. Let's go talk to their family. And they go talk to their family, and they go, this is a great match. So his parents arranged this. And in this time, in the Hebrew culture, there were two parts of a wedding. The first part was called the Kiddushin. And the Kiddushin was the part where the families came together. They agreed that this was a good marriage. And at that point, when Joseph's parents paid Mary's parents you know, this whole dowry thing, at that point, they are considered officially married, even though Joe goes back to his house, his parents' house, and Mary goes back to her parents' house, and they probably barely talk to each other. And Mary is at her parents' house waiting for Joe to come get her because Joe went home to add an addition onto his parents' house because they're going to live with mom and daddy. So he's at home, and he's preparing a place for his new bride, and she's awaiting the day that Joe and all his buddies are going to march through the streets with a torch in evening to come and claim his bride. That part was called the hoopfah. And they would come together and have a public ceremony, and they would pronounce their, their devotion to one another, and there would be a party for a week. That hadn't happened yet. So he's at home, hammering away, wondering what Mary looks like. Yeah. And thinking, oh, I bet she's good looking, you know. And somebody comes and says, hey, Joe. His friend Bert came and knocked on the door and said, guess what I just heard? What did you hear? Mary's pregnant. And when Joe heard that, he began to sing. It's the most wonderful time of the year. No. <laughs> There's no way. Like, this was Joe's worst fear coming to life. And so what does Joe do? He does nothing. He's called into a family meeting. Mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, and all the relatives come together so they can decide what Joe's going to do. He's just a kid. So they conspire and they go, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to divorce Mary. We, it's me. No, you're, you're going to divorce Mary, but we're not going to do it in a public way because that involves stoning. And we're not, we're not a stoning family, all right? <laughs> And so we're going to do it quietly because we obey the law and we love the Lord. And so, Joe, go and divorce her. And when Joe heard the family's decision, he began to sing. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Well, the plan was set. Joe knew what he had to do. And that night, he had a dream. And in that dream, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. So, let me ask you a question. Why was Joe afraid to take Mary as his wife? Who was he afraid of? Anybody want to give a guess? Yes! He was afraid of mama and daddy. He was afraid of the neighborhood. He was afraid of the community. He was probably even afraid of the rabbi at the temple down the street. And he was probably most afraid of what his friends were going to think because he was 15 years old. And you know what 15-year-old people worry about? What their friends think. 
And this dream said, the very thing that you feared the most, I need you to go do. And Joe began to sing. It's the most wonderful time. How many times can I do that? Are you starting to get the connection? And let me, let me spice up the story a little bit. So Joe goes to Mary and he says, I know there's no celebration here. I know there's no big party, but you are my wife and I'm coming to get you. And he goes to get Mary and listen what he said. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and he took Mary home as his wife. Okay, first of all, remember, Joe, Joe didn't have a house over in East Nazareth. Like, he didn't have an apartment over there. He wasn't in the running group, you know, the East Nasties, you know. That wasn't Joe at all. Joe lived at home. So Joe took Mary and walked her back to whose house? Mama's house. And what did Mama say the day before? Divorce her. And he's walking in, and there's Mama, there's Daddy, and he's going, y'all don't understand, I had a dream. And mom and daddy began to sing. It's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> you see the contrast? Is that probably wasn't the most wonderful time of the year. For Joseph and for Mary, it was probably terrifying. And here's what I, I want to ask Jesus when I see him is why didn't you, at that family gathering, why don't you send the Holy Spirit to come and go, okay, everybody settle down, okay? Mary's pregnant with the Holy Spirit, all right? That I, I'm setting Joe up to take care of this, and yet God didn't do any of that. God didn't come and let Joe off the hook. And I think it's the same reason he doesn't let us off the hook. Is it possible that God was more interested in Joe trusting him than giving Joe a life without fear? And is it possible, this is crazy now, Advent people, that actually fear is a gift from God to give our life's purpose and meaning in depth? I said that. What if everything in this box is a gift from God? How is that even possible? What if Jesus' whole purpose and his agenda is to make you spiritually alive? What if his whole purpose it's to bring you to the fullness of who you are. And he's using fear to do that. What if at the, at the manger, Christ went to the cross and then he went to the resurrection and then he sent his Holy Spirit to transform fear into something that we can't comprehend? Okay, track with me, okay? Paul, who was an apostle, had a, a kid that was his mentee named Timothy. And Timothy, he threw in, a, in Ephesus and said, I want you to pastor the church there which was a handful. We don't have time to talk about it. But Timothy was young, and he was in a situation, he was way in over his head, and he was afraid. <laughs> Listen to what he said. He said, hey, Timothy, man, fan of the flame, the gifts that God has given you. And oh, by the way, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but he gave you a spirit of power, love, and self-control. Great, thank you, Paul. I'll stop being afraid. No, he's giving him a secret here. And what he's trying to show him is that Holy Spirit that dwells in you has power. And that Holy Spirit that dwells in you has love. And that's, that spirit that dwells within you is giving you the gift of self-control. Self-control to do what? To see that fear is a gift. 
and then to use that fear as a way to become fully alive. How does that, how does that work? How does the Holy Spirit give me power, love, and self-control to transform fear into something I hide away and run from to something that actually gives me life? Because I think Jesus is doing that with us. See, fear is a beautiful gift from God because fear lets me know when I'm in over my head. Fear lets me know when I'm not enough. And in the culture that we live in, that's a horrible place to be, that you're not enough. But in the kingdom of God, not know, knowing that you're not enough is a glorious place because then fear doesn't become the debilitating emotion. Fear becomes the inviting emotion because fear now becomes the emotion that leads me to cry out to you. I'm terrified. Will you join me in my terror? It also allows me to have an invitation to him. And fear now becomes the thing that kicks me into the presence of God. You can't do this alone. You were never made to do this alone. You need each other and you need him. And fear now pushes me into his presence by the power of the Holy Spirit. So in Matthew chapter four, it's a very familiar story. And the story is of the disciples and Jesus, they're all out to sea and the storm comes up and Jesus is asleep in the boat. And the disciples said, this storm is so bad, we're about to die. We're, about, we're gonna die. And so they went to Jesus and they woke him up and they said, don't you care that we're about to die? Jesus said, no, I really don't care. I'm going back to sleep. That's not in the Bible, all right? What he said was, he stood up and he, and he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, be still, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, he said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? In Matthew, it says, have you such little faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Their fear, I love I think that what Jesus was saying, you have just enough faith to come and wake me up and behold the glory of Jesus in your life when you wake me up, that I calm the seas. And after he did that, they were more afraid. But now fear has moved from the place I'm in over my head to fear has moved to awe. Look at who is in the boat with us. Fear leads me to the one that is more powerful than me. And you're not enough. You're just not enough. What is your fear? Let me just stop, okay? I'm, I'm almost done. And let's make it personal. What is your fear? Why, why does Jesus have you here today? Like, what's in your box? Like, can you name it? What have you shoved in here? And you're like, don't take the lid off. What is it? Do you know what that is? And what do you do with it? And I'm going to say something that's going to be so simple. When Midtown first started, we were downtown, and um, I was doing work at the rescue mission. Every Monday night, I taught at the recovery program, which upstairs, they have a rehab facility up there for guys. It's intense. Like, it's like six months long. And all the guys in the program are guys that used to be homeless. I mean, they've lived some rough lives, guys that are coming out of prison. And so I'd go there every Monday night, and I would teach scripture 
And uh, I was going one night, and my son, who was, he was, man, maybe 10, 11 years old, I said, hey, Zach, why don't you come on go with me? He's like, okay. So we go, and if you've ever been to the rescue mission, we pulled up in the parking lot, and it was dark, and you have to go through the downstairs where our, all the homeless folks are, and they're eating, and then work your way up through a locked door to get to the rehab facility. So I've done it so many times, and I know these guys so much that they really, literally, they're beautiful. These are beautiful men that I've been working with. And have you ever found somebody beautiful that your friends all said, what? Like, it, well, that's, that's, they become beautiful to me. And so I'm walking up, and all the guys were downstairs, and they saw me, and they're like, ah, and they started walking toward me, and I realized Zach wasn't next to me anymore. And and as I saw the terror on his face, I looked at them through his eyes and I go, oh, these are some crusty dudes. They're scary dudes. He is afraid. He's so afraid, he doesn't want to take another step. Here's what he did. He grabbed my hand. And then he stepped behind me. That's what fear does. Fear allows me to grab the hand of the one who loves me and step behind him and go, I'm not enough, you are. And he stood there with me and held my hand through the night. And by the end of the night, his fear had turned to love. And we're in the car ride going home and he goes, dad, can I come back next week? That's fear now inviting itself into relationship with each other and with your savior who loves you and says, I want to show you something more beautiful than your ability to be enough. What is it? Me. That's your Jesus. In fact, in Psalm 34, listen to this beautiful transformation. If by the power of the spirit, like Joseph, we don't run from our fear, but we embrace our fear and let it invite us into a deeper walk with Christ and each other. It says in verse four, I sought the Lord and he answered me, grabbed his hand, and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. That makes every day the most wonderful day of the year. Lord, we pray as we go into singing now that, Lord, you would allow us the grace to know what your Holy Spirit is doing in us. That right now, as, as my friends consider their fears, and they're considering that potentially their fears are gifts from you, to bring you into a deeper reality, to move their faith from a religious experience to a very personal experience. To move this season from just a season of fruitcake and jollies into a season of transformation. That Lord, even this morning, you may spark something in the heart of those who love you that would dare now to walk not only into our deepest fears, but to realize in doing so, we go in the greatest adventure of our lives I'm reminded, Lord, of the next dream you gave Joseph. And that dream was to run. And this young kid packed his wife and a newborn and moved to Egypt where he knew no one. How is that possible? 
Unless, of course, Lord, you breathe on our fears and give us courage. Courage in you. So, Lord, I pray you would do that this morning in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.